Hello, and welcome to episode number 29 of the Point of Convergence podcast. As always, I'm your host, Exoacadamian. For many, the notion that non-human intelligences, whether extraterrestrial, interdimensional, or ultra-terrestrial, may be operating advanced vehicles in the skies above our heads is a stretch, but one they can wrap their heads around. It only makes sense, to most people anyway, that an advanced species would have technology that might very well outclass our own. And if a non-terrestrial species wanted to visit our planet, most can imagine them buzzing around our atmosphere before moving on to other points of interest. What is a more difficult notion for people to really track with is that the intelligences behind these vehicles may be interacting with us in a more direct and personal way. When you advanced evidence suggesting these intelligences may be entering people's homes and are often taking them back to their craft in order to perform a variety of actions, some of a medical variety, and many people will balk. One has to ask, is this knee-jerk rejection of this notion based on a rational consideration of the evidence, or is it fueled more by a subconscious fear of loss of power and agency? We are so accustomed to being the apex intelligence around these parts that when we're confronted with compelling evidence suggesting we may very well not be, many people respond out of deep-seated fear. We suddenly remember all of the less than humane actions we've performed on animals over the centuries, continuing even to today, and we wonder what it would be like to be treated in the same manner by a superior species. When you add into the mix the apparent ability of these non-human intelligences to alter human perception and to even control behavior, and you've now entered territory that makes most people turn around and walk the other way, not interested in engaging in such a conversation. And yet, that's exactly what the literature behind the UFO phenomenon suggests. All of the above, craft of an advanced nature, operating in our skies, entities entering our homes, passing through solid walls with no more difficulty than us passing through a fine mist on a morning walk, and seemingly near total control of human consciousness. To the point where people look back with confusion and bewilderment at the nature of their own actions during such experiences. Yet another piece of the puzzle that is simply too much to consider for many people in the general public is the sheer number of life forms apparently involved and interacting with us. Yes, you have the greys, both short and tall, with their large inky black wraparound eyes, a face that has become the quintessential face of the alien for millions, but you also have entities that appear almost totally human, as well as hybrid species that look very much like a cross between a human and something else. And of course you have seven foot tall praying mantis type beings and equally tall reptilian types, and the list goes on. For those who've had such experiences of what is often coined high strangeness, discombobulation is the inevitable result. These kinds of experiences are simply not of the sort that can be easily assimilated into most people's working notions of the quote-unquote real world. Indeed, without support and the ability to process such experiences with others, these kinds of encounters can lead many to question their very grip on reality. 
But this is not about a tenuous grip on reality. These experiences are in every way real events. These kinds of encounters are happening all around the world and have been for a very long time. As it turns out, I'm no stranger to high strangeness. And on this week's podcast, I'd like to offer some of my own family's personal experiences of this nature. These are events that shattered former notions of what is and what is not possible, leading to a long, complicated journey in understanding the broader, richer, more colorful totality of all that exists. A reflection on the personal, generational encounters that have impacted me and my family are the topic of this, the 29th episode of the Point of Convergence podcast. As we begin this week's podcast, let me just say that I find it very helpful to move back and forth between the macro and the micro with this topic. It's important to consider this phenomenon from both perspectives. Additional details here and there help to fill out the picture when we zoom in. But pulling back in order to see with wide focus regularly is also essential in order to identify patterns that emerge. Now, speaking of patterns that have emerged, it has become clear to those who've studied this in the context of other elements of high strangeness that the UFO phenomenon is one of several so-called contact modalities. Ray Hernandez of the Free Foundation coined that term, and it's apt. And again, the UFO phenomenon, contact with non-human intelligence, as well as sightings of UAP or UFOs, are one of many modalities within some larger framework of reality. For instance, one of the correlations we see is that if a human being has experienced any one of the contact modalities, then they're much more likely than chance to have experienced another as well. Often people experience several of these. And when I speak of the contact modalities, I'm talking about aspects like contact with non-human intelligence, not just space aliens, any kind of non-human intelligence, remote viewing, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, psychokinetic activity, precognitive dreams, and other kinds of visions where people see the future, etc. All of these are different kinds of contact modalities. And if a person has experienced one, they're much more likely than anyone from the general population to have experienced another. This is another piece of the data that tells us somehow this is all connected. And now I'd like to quote from the book Beyond UFOs that discusses the various contact modalities and the connection between them. Quote, Finally, as will be presented later in this paper, the UAP experience is primarily a paranormal, anomalous phenomenon, even though, as Dr. J. Allen Hynek and Dr. Jacques Vallée acknowledge, the UAP phenomenon is both a physical and psychic phenomenon. All of the topics currently being studied by the field of parapsychology are also being experienced by the UAP contact experiencers, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, energy healing, and all of the psi phenomena currently studied in parapsychology. Thus, why shun and disdain the UAP contact phenomenon from the field of parapsychology? Instead, Research on the UAP contact phenomenon should be embraced 
just like the position of free co-founders, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Dr. Rudy Shield, and free research chair, Dr. John Plimo, as the possible solution or key that will unlock the door to understanding parapsychology, unquote. Now, the reason why I bring all of this up in the context of today's podcast is because my experience has been just this, that primarily my wife is one of these people that experiences these different kinds of contact modalities. And while I've had many of my own as well, to a large degree, I feel like I'm along for the ride. And the experiences I've had are very much part and parcel with her nature as a kind of conduit. Up until now, I've avoided too much discussion of my own experiences because I want people to be able to engage with these podcasts from the perspective that they are objectively based, not hack jobs completely colored by my own experiences. That said, I also don't want to communicate that one has to be quote-unquote experienceless in order to be objective. Of course, in so many fields of life, that would be simply impossible. I also want to be part of the movement that encourages experiences to come forward, to share their own experiences, because we all benefit as a result. Also, like Jacques Vallée, I firmly believe that hearing from experiencers is key to understanding the UFO phenomenon. And now in sharing several different encounters I've had, I want to begin with the episode that was the most discombobulating the most bizarre and uncanny, most full of high strangeness of all experiences in my life. Here's the setting. My wife and I, along with our young daughter, and my wife was also pregnant at the time, several months pregnant, we were traveling across the country from the east to the west. And at this point in the trip, we were about a day or two in, basically at Illinois on our trip to the west coast. And we were staying in a hotel. Everything was normal up until that point. Then in the early morning hours, my wife and I were in one bed and my young daughter was in the bed next to us. In the early morning hours, I noticed movement at the end of our bed. So I sat up thinking our daughter must have gotten up. Perhaps she's confused, forgetting where she is, looking for the bathroom or something like that. I get up to speak with her and pretty quickly it becomes clear based on the appearance and the size of this being at the end of our bed that this is not our daughter. That that was the first element of bizarreness for me was I just assumed if there's somebody at the end of our bed, it's got to be our daughter. Who else is in the room with us? But it very quickly becomes clear this is not our daughter. It was humanoid, human looking but clearly not our daughter and had various strange kind of effects in and around it as well, though. Very hard to explain. I'll come back to that a little bit later. Anyway, I proceeded then to get up and move towards this being that looked, again, mostly human and we perceived it as female. I say we, notice that, I'll get to that in a second. I proceeded to move towards it at this point, it seems surprised, it slash she seems surprised that I actually could see her. And it slash she began backing up towards the wall, proceeded to back up right to the wall and through it and disappeared, disappeared right through the wall. 
Then I did a very strange thing. I turned around and I marched right back to bed as if I was just going to go to sleep as if nothing strange had happened at all. Of course, that's not unusual for people in these kinds of encounters, but we'll get to that later as well. Thankfully, as it turns out, my wife perceived the whole thing. She saw the whole thing as well. She woke up as well and was sitting next to me, sitting up without me being aware of this at the time and saw the entire event. Now, the fact that my wife was awake and saw the entire thing was essential because as I say, I was about to try and go back to sleep. I just turned around, went right back to bed as if I was going to go to sleep. She shook me and said, you know, basically, what are you doing? How can you possibly go to sleep after what we just witnessed? And I was in a kind of strange stupor, a strange state of consciousness. My behavior didn't make any sense to me. Uh, it certainly doesn't make any sense to me thinking back on it. But thankfully, my wife engaged with me, shook me, and basically woke me out of that kind of weird state that I was in. And we sat up and we talked about the experience. And then my wife decided to get up and check on our daughter. This is where it gets even stranger still, because it turns out my daughter had strange welts all over her body, the kind that she's never had before and never had since. And perhaps it could have been some allergic reaction to the sheets or something, but it was very strange. Anyway, at that point, my wife became concerned. What had we just experienced? And was that responsible for what happened to my daughter? We didn't know, but we weren't about to stick around for the breakfast or to discuss it any longer in that hotel room. So we packed up, we left in the early morning hours and hit the road. Thankfully, within a couple hours, my daughter's condition improved. All of those welts just disappeared. Now, there's a couple important points I'd like to make about the experience itself. Number one, if it were not for my wife preventing me from going to sleep, I certainly would have gone to sleep. And I am 99% certain that I would have woken in the morning and just thought I had a strange dream. I'm, as I say, pretty much certain that would have been my response. I had no hook to hang this experience on. So I would have woken up the next morning and just assumed it was a strange dream. And you have to ask yourself, how many people are having those kind of experiences and drawing that very conclusion? Thankfully, my wife was there with me, prevented me from going to sleep, and that helped anchor the experience in reality for me. Not to mention, of course, we had each other to dialogue with, to process with, to try and make sense of this really bizarre, discombobulating experience. And this is, by the way, why I feel for people who experience these things on their own as individuals, because it's that much more discombobulating. It's that much more unanchored from reality, from the everyday world. And they don't have that ability to process with someone else. And they certainly don't have the sort of mental check that makes you feel better knowing that you weren't the only one that saw this. And now I'd like to add some additional details about the experience itself, because while both my wife and I experienced this entity, this humanoid figure at the end of our bed, and we both saw it disappear through the wall, there were various elements that were different. We saw slightly different things, which is fascinating, but also, again, kind of bewildering. For instance, I saw a full body. 
and my wife saw just the upper torso. To me, I saw hair, but it looked normal. My wife saw hair that was blowing as if there was a breeze blowing pretty strong and making the hair move. Very strange. On top of that, when I turned around to come back to bed, my wife saw this entity come back out through the wall, proceed to go down the sort of hall in front of the two beds and out the front door of the hotel room, not opening the door, of course, just passed right through the door. So my wife saw the entity a second time. But again, I want to draw your attention to the fact that we both saw this entity, but we saw different characteristics, slight differences that make you really wonder what is that about? And it certainly makes you realize that this phenomenon has the ability to affect perception, consciousness. We both saw it, but we saw slightly different things. That, of course, brings back memories of the podcast episode I did on the events at Fatima, where thousands of people saw something, but they saw different things. Even the messages they received were different. I'd also like to add that clearly I am someone who's devoted a lot of time to studying this phenomenon, years and years and years. I've researched it. I've studied as much of the literature as I can get my hands on. I've listened to many, many accounts from different experiencers, and I've tried to connect the dots as much as I can, look for patterns and whatnot. But I still have to say, after all this time, after having reported all these other experiences that different people have had, that event is still very discombobulating. Even after all these years, and by the way, that happened in 2005, after all these years, I still don't know exactly how to wrap my head around that experience. It had a kind of texture to it, a kind of ethos that I can't quite wrap my head around. It was just very discombobulating, almost like an altered state of consciousness, or almost like we were in a different realm of reality altogether for that period of time. Very, very strange. Now I'd like to share an experience that's much more recent. It's happened since we moved here to North Carolina, which happened in 2018. So this was within the last couple of years. This is what happened. On a particular evening, my wife and my son were in a bedroom and my wife was playing a large shamanic mother drum. We have a series of drums. We used to host drum circles and we would have shamanic groups and whatnot come over. And anyway, my wife was playing this drum and they were both basically inviting contact and communication with benevolent entities was the intention. I wasn't involved at all. I was actually in my office at the time in a different room, but in the same house. And what proceeded to happen was suddenly it sounded like there was a loud rainstorm outside. We assumed it was raining. And then we heard a very, very loud hum fill the entire house. And it sounded like the hum was coming from directly above the house. Very loud not really mechanical in a clicking kind of way, more like a loud, steady hum. And we could hear each other talk, but it was very loud. It was the most dominant thing on both floors of the house. What's strange is none of us, not my wife, not myself, nor my son, went outside to look above the house to see what was there. To be honest with you, 
I had a kind of strange fear come over me, a kind of fear, feeling of overwhelm, and I didn't want to look. And to some degree, I felt like maybe I wasn't supposed to. It's hard to know looking back. At the same time, it's hard to imagine that I wouldn't have convinced myself to go and look. But for whatever reason, we didn't. I didn't. My wife didn't. My son didn't. Eventually, after a few minutes, the sound stopped and the rain apparently stopped. My daughter then proceeded to come in the house and she asked what was up because we seemed to be acting strangely. And we said, didn't you hear that insanely loud sound? And didn't you get caught in the rainstorm? She proceeded to tell us there was no rainstorm. It's not raining. She was only just down the block at the time that this happened. And she didn't hear any strange hum whatsoever. Again, now in regards to us not going to look, maybe we thought because it's raining or we thought it was raining anyway, we won't get a good look. But again, I still can't convince myself that would have been enough of a justification for me not having gone and at least tried to see if I could see anything. Of course, this happens a lot with the UFO phenomenon. People's behavior is controlled. Their responses are controlled. Like in the hotel encounter, when I just decided it was a good idea to go back to bed, I recently read Robert Hastings talk about seeing a UFO above his house, and somehow he had this thought that he shouldn't take a picture, that he knows looking back, that makes no sense whatsoever. And having a background in photography, he absolutely would have wanted to take a picture after having talked about UFOs and the nuclear connection for years and years and lecturing on this, he certainly would have wanted to have the evidence of a photo. And yet at the time, he just sensed that he was not supposed to take a photo. So he just looked with his naked eye, but never took a photo. There are a lot of experiences like that, that people report where their behavior doesn't match what they would normally do. Now, in the introduction to today's episode, as well as on previous podcasts, I've mentioned the generational aspect of this phenomenon, that often when people do remember having experiences with these non-human intelligences or these extraterrestrial intelligences or these non-conventionally human intelligences, again, they take a variety of forms, but when people remember having these experiences and they then ask family members, they often find there's a generational component that their parents may very well have had experiences, even though they may not have talked about it before then. Sometimes it even goes back several generations. Well, after our experiences, my wife and I decided to follow up with her family to see if they remembered anything, because my wife did have a recall of her parents talking vaguely about something when she was younger. So we asked them about a particular event that she remembered hearing about. And reluctantly, they both talked to us about it, but you could tell they were still fearful and fearful, not just because of the nature of the experience, but more because the unknown in general just scares them. They don't like not being able to wrap their heads around something. And that's definitely what happened in this particular case. This is how the narrative goes. When my wife was a very young girl, her family lived for a period of time on a farm in a remote area of Indiana. And her parents basically 
got very low rent in exchange for taking care of this small farm. But it was in the middle of nowhere, not much around. Anyway, one particular night, her dad woke up with lights streaming through the windows of the upstairs bedroom. So these very bright kind of bluish white lights were streaming through into the bedroom. He was immediately terrified because again, they're in the middle of nowhere. They're not used to seeing planes around there. He didn't hear helicopter sound or anything like that. He turned over and tried to wake up my wife's mom, but she would not wake up. No No matter how much he shook her, she would not wake up. It was almost like she was unconscious. At this point, he then heard what sounded like noise coming from downstairs. And of course, my wife, as a young girl, was downstairs at the time. So he proceeded to get a rifle, a shotgun, and go downstairs. And from there, he perceived that the noise was actually coming from the basement that goes underground, basically. So he then proceeded to go into the basement started going down the stairs into the underground basement. He got halfway down the stairs and had fear come over him. Then he had a very strange notion come into his mind. You should go back and go to sleep. So that's exactly what he did. He turned around, he marched up the stairs into the first floor, didn't check on the kids, walked up to the second floor, back to his bedroom and went to sleep. And that's what happened. Very strange. And again, it is uncanny how, just like my experience, he chose to go to sleep in the most bizarre experience you can imagine. And I'd just like to finish with a couple of additional experiences that I've had. This first one is strange and kind of funny in a way, because on a couple different occasions, I've tried to engage with the CE5 protocols. And after doing so, I've gone outside late at night onto our street where we often have a really amazing view of the stars over the mountains here in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And on these two occasions, I didn't see anything in the sky. I scanned the sky. All I saw was satellites, planes, and stars. Could see Mars and whatnot, but no sign of something I would call a UFO on those occasions. What did happen though on two different occasions is as I'm looking up and scanning across the sky, I noticed movement in my peripheral vision, both times to the left. And I would turn and just catch glimpse of what looked like two shadowy figures going around a hedge. And all I can tell you is, as soon as it happened, I immediately thought, was that a rabbit? Was that a black bear? Was that a dog? You know, what was that? Was it deer? We have all those things around here. But all I can tell you is it looked like it was standing upright humanoid looking, but a very dark colored shape, almost like two silhouettes that went around quickly and behind a hedge. And it always happens in my peripheral vision. I've had those experiences on numerous occasions. This particular event happened when I'm in the midst of the CE5 protocols and looking at the sky, and then ironically see something off to my left in my peripheral vision, but just for a split second, and then it's gone. I'd also like to add that my usual method where I feel like I sometimes make a kind of contact, but it's a very kind of obtuse, abstract kind of contact where it feels more like I receive downloads is during my meditation practice. I meditate in the morning and in the evening. 
And especially in my evening meditation practice, I will sometimes enter a kind of modality, a kind of state of consciousness where I feel like information is downloading. And often the next day, certain courses of action will occur to me that I'm surprised at, that I'm surprised I want to do that, or that's what I've decided. And yet something becomes really clear. You could argue this is my higher self that I'm getting in touch with, and that's why it resonates with me. But it often feels like something else, feels like some other kind of intelligence is communicating, but not in a typical telepathic, you know, thought to thought kind of way, more like direct downloads. That's been my experience. At the end of the day, what do these kinds of experiences tell us? They tell us that the conventional mechanistic view of the universe is woefully lacking. It may indeed have everything precisely upside down in the sense that actually consciousness is primary and matter and energy are derivatives rather than the other way around as scientific materialism would have you believe. And on that note, we've come to the close of another edition of the Point of Convergence podcast. As always, let's keep this conversation going and growing. But until next time, friends, from deep within the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, this is Exoacademian signing out.